Welcome back to the Wise Man's Page, the podcast that you put on in the background while you play Elden Ring. This is page 581. But to me, with so much of my livelihood relying on my clever hands, the thought of a broken thumb was terrifying. My stomach knotted as I watched Tempe take another swallow of whiskey and get to his feet. The problem was that we were strangers here. If things got ugly, could I count on the irritated mercenaries to step in and put a stop to things? Three against one was nothing close to a fair fight, and if it got ugly, it would get ugly fast. Tempe took a mouthful of beer and looked at me calmly. Watch my back, he said, then turned to walk to where the other mercenaries stood. For a moment, I was simply impressed by his good use of a Turin. Since I'd known him, he'd gone from practically mute to using idiomatic speech. But that pride quickly faded as I tried to think of something I could do to stop the fight if things got out of control. I couldn't think of a blessed thing. I hadn't seen this coming, and I had no clever tricks up my sleeve. For lack of any better options, I drew my knife out of its sheath and held it out of sight below the level of the table. The last thing I'd want to do is stab someone, but I could at least menace them with it and buy us enough time to get out the door. Tempe gave the three mercenaries an appraising look. Tam was inches taller than he, with shoulders like an ox. There was a bald fellow with a scarred face and a wicked grin. Last was the blonde woman, who stood a full hand taller than Tempe. There is only one woman, Tempe said, looking Tam in the eye. Is enough? You may bring one more. The female mercenary bristled. You swagger cock, she spat. I'll show you what a woman can do in a fight. Tempe nodded politely. His continuing lack of concern began to relax me. I had heard the stories, of course, a single Adam mercenary defeating a dozen regular soldiers. Could Tempe really fight off these three at the same time? He certainly seemed to think so. Tempe looked at them. This is my first fight of this sort. How does begin? My palms started to sweat where I gripped the knife. Tam stepped up so their chests were only inches apart. He loomed over Tempe. We'll start by whipping you bloody. Then we'll give you a kicking. Then we'll come round and do it again to make sure we didn't miss anything. As he said the last, he slammed his forehead down into Tempe's face. My breath caught in my chest, and before I could get it back, the fight was over. When the bearded mercenary snapped his head forward, I had expected to... Well, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. Also, good lord, that's such a hard thing to end a page on. I can't cliffhanger. Oh my god, but <laughs> The line, my breath caught in my chest, and before I could get it back, the fight was over kicks ass it's so good uh and that's the line that the page ends on in my book so it really does make you want to turn the page because like what do you mean the fight's over great stuff uh i also so we were talking a bit yesterday about how both bringing a knife to a bar fight is a serious escalation and it's clear on this page that he only he's not even like planning to hurt anybody with it i don't think he i don't think both understands how much worse that would make things, right? Like this is an example of him doing something that he thinks would be helpful, but would only make the situation worse. And thank God he doesn't actually pull the knife yet, right? He's just like got his hand on it in case the fight goes bad Um, because he's panicking, right? Because he's like, oh my God, I feel so helpless. I feel so useless. I have no, nothing. I can't think of anything I could do to help in this situation. And we know that he already felt this way like two or three pages ago when they were on the road and he thought they might be ambushed. So I think this might also be him overcompensating for that perceived lack on his part. Potentially. I Yeah, I can see this as being like a thing where he's like, oh yeah, I did, I did this thing before for, or I thought I should have done this thing before 
when I was feeling threatened, now I should actually do that thing that I thought of doing earlier. Or I should do something, anything, rather than just panicking. Yeah. Which in itself is kind of a panicked reaction, right? Yeah, I guess it is. I also, uh, I don't want to monopolize the conversation, but if no one else has anything... Do it. uh, I also think it's funny, Tempe says, watch my back. And Quoth is like, oh, he's gotten so much better at a turn. He's like using an idiom. And we learn later on that Tempe is telling him literally, watch my back. Watch what I'm doing with my back. I was just thinking that. I was like, I wonder if it's not an idiom. (laughs) Your instincts are dead on. Love it. Your insights serve you well. They do you credit, but they could be made to serve the emperor. Thank you, Obi Nick Kenobi. <laughs> it's also again like the the kind of juxtaposition between Tempe Tempe wavering between like confidence and like confusion as to what the situation he's in, juxtaposed against Kvoth's confidence in Tempe and Kvoth's like terror that Tempe has no idea what he's doing, uh, is really heightened when Kvoth there's like a the paragraph before this line is Quoth being like, Tempe's so confident. I should probably relax. It really seems like he knows what he's doing. Maybe he can take 12 people at once. And then Tempe says, this is my first fight like this. How does it start? And Quoth's like, oh my God. It's very funny. Cool. Yeah, it's great. I really don't have a ton on this page because, I, I mean, we've already kind of talked about a lot of the, the nuances on this page. Yeah, it's funny. For a quick fight, we spend a lot of time on it. <laughs> Well, it's very. Well, all the fights are quick. Like I think that's what maybe we can talk about here, and we'll talk about it more tomorrow when we actually get to the fight. But that's one of the things that I kind of like about the way Rothfuss writes action is that there's an awful lot of lead up, and then the actual moments of action are very, very brief, often rarely more than a page or two. Which you know, I've I haven't spent a ton of time in my life in action scenes, but it strikes me as verisimilitudinous that a lot of uh, real life peril is uh, quick moments of of disaster and a lot of uh trauma before and after Mm. well and you know the the conventional wisdom goes that like the average soldier on a medieval battlefield like the average fight that you'd like be likely to be in would last like a few seconds like two or three seconds and then the fight's over because either one of you won the fight and the other one is like dead or dying or you were like this like i'm not gonna win this fight i'm gonna disengage and pick on somebody else uh, but what it also brings to mind for me, and specifically, Jordana, what you're pointing out about how, like, the tension is building, building, and building, and then the actual, you know, scene of the fight is over pretty quickly, that's how fight scenes tend to go in samurai films, uh, as opposed to, like, Hong Kong martial arts movies. Samurai movies are all about, like, the build up to, like, an explosive moment of violence, but the actual fight scene, if there is a fight scene, tends not to be very long, and... There's not a lot of back and forth between the combatants. It's usually like, you know, one guy like just like owns the other guy, like, you know, kills them instantly. Uh, The classic, you know, two guys with samurai swords run at each other and one of them cuts. And then there's a moment where they're both standing there and then the other guy falls over. Uh, So that's kind of what it puts me in mind of as well, because those that's all about like the buildup and the tension and the anticipation uh, that all leads to this climactic explosion of violence. Yeah, and as as much as we like to see great fencing matches in movies, it's my understanding that the reason that uh, 
thrusting swords, rapiers and estocs and things like that existed was to put the other person as far away from you as possible and to stab them from as far away as you possibly could. And most real life duels and fencing matches were similarly over very quickly when some person either did a dirty trick or, you know, they got to an, an engagement range and someone got stabbed right away. Something I, I don't remember where I heard this, but I've, I feel like I've heard it many times and it strikes me as as true is that if you get into a knife fight, someone is going to die like or, you know, be grievously wounded. Like you don't yeah. trade blows with a knife like in a movie. You get up close, you get into stabbing range. Stabbing happens. Probably both people get stabbed uh, and uh, it's it's a it's a calamity. But like you don't you don't have a, a fight when a knife is involved. You are immediately wounded. Well, you do the the way that the instructors at the the stage combat school that I have gone to have put it is like in a knife fight, someone's going to the hospital and somebody's going to the morgue uh, at the very least. And you have to be prepared to be the guy who gets real messed up, but lives because especially, you know, a lot of the time in a knife fight, like you're defending yourself with your empty hand, which means that you're probably going to get cuts on your, you know, nasty cuts all over your arm which could, you know, bleed you out if it's not seen too quickly. And because knives are short, the fights are just a lot more up close and in your face and intimate. Whereas even with a small sword uh, or an epée, you know, those are not huge swords, but they do provide an extra like foot or two of distance between you and the other guy. Whereas a knife tends to be, you know, six to eight inches. It's not that big. I am very tempted to ask an off-tangent question, but I feel like we should focus on either the rest of the page or one of the longer letters. You're right, Jordana. We never go on tangents on this podcast. We're always laser-focused. I'm just... Never mind. Pick one of the two options I gave you. (laughs) Ask your question. Let's have our tangent. Oh, fine. Okay, so I posit to you, if you were thrust back in time into medieval times... Um, like pre-guns, what would be your weapon of choice and why? I choose Combat Rock. I'll play Beastie Boys off of the Walkman that came back with me. Mm. Well, would they put you on the prow of a ship like the Doof Warrior in Mad Max, but you're like strumming on a lute as you like dangle from the rigging? Well, I mean, I can't play lute, so probably not. Not, not with that attitude. The actual answer is I would probably die immediately of dysentery. Mm. Okay, good. Like most people in a war. But like, if you're asking me what weapon I would prefer to have in my hand that would give me the best chance of not dying right away, mm. I have found all the various armed European martial arts that I've tried out. There's lots that I like, but I feel like the one that actually suited my particular biomechanics the best was a particular style of sword that's kind of a transition between a longsword and a rapier. It is called Bolognese fencing, like the spaghetti sauce. Because it I was going to say, sounds out. delicious. <laughs> it was one of the first proper, like, it was in a transition period. A rapier is mostly a thrusting weapon. You don't cut with it very much. And a longsword is mostly a, uh, a slashing weapon. You don't thrust with it all that often. Uh, and a Bolognese sword is, is a martial art that's kind of in a transitional period between the two. So it involved a lot of... Um, half blows where uh, you would you would slash but instead of following all the way through with the slash you would stop when you hit your opponent's parry and you could then you know try a different attack from there so it would often you know a cut would then become a thrust and after i did a couple of lessons of bolognese sword i was like oh this is the style for me so 
a 15th century Italian uh, sword would probably be the one that I would be likeliest to survive with. But much like Nick, I would probably shit myself to death in a ditch before ever seeing the battlefield. Now me, I wouldn't shit myself in a ditch. I would just die from something I'm allergic to probably. But <laughs> eat one apple. I I had chosen a weapon in my brain, but I had like the other day I posited this question to Jeff and I'm going to give you his answer instead because it was so much better than mine. And it was a shield because you can produce enough G-force with a shield to cause enough head trauma to cause someone to die. Like if you yeah. like so like I and and like it's if, a defense. Like, like it is both you, a weapon and a defense. Yeah, but I mean that's true of any weapon. I you might as well I, I pick don't a chair. Know, <laughs> like, <laughs> Chairs have holes in them, okay? I mean, I'm going to revise my statement. It's not true of any weapon, but it is true of most weapons that you can use them to defend yourself and attack. Like the sword is great yeah. for that. I think I think what you're saying is like if you had to pick a weapon for like a duel, right? Like if it's a one-on-one thing and you have like a rack of of weapons, you have to arm yourself with only one thing. Is that what you're kind of saying? Yeah, but I feel like I would pick a shield because I have absolutely no training with any kind of formal weapon. So a shield, theoretically, wouldn't require too, too much training, but to put enough weight behind it to create the G-force you would need to knock somebody out would probably not be as difficult as, like, knowing how to defend with a sword. So I have a theory that most real-world historical weapons training was pretty much just, like, who is better at putting the pointy end in the other guy? I know that there's a lot of, like, fencing manuals and stuff, but I feel like, practically speaking, a lot of it is just, like, who is better at, like, fighting dirty and, like, has the longest arms? And a lot of the fencing manual stuff uh, was written by people who were, like, armchair uh, enthusiasts. There's a theory that uh, Sun Tzu is sort of like was like a laughingstock in his time because he was just a courtier who never actually did any warring and all of his stuff is like theoretical at best. So I kind of have a suspicion, Jordana, that uh, real life training probably wouldn't do you much like you would probably be more or less on even footing with someone with your own uh, who matches your own physical prowess. Yeah, but as a human being, I have. Not a lot of physical prowess, say compared to someone the size of like you were Jeff. Like if I faced Jeff on the battlefield, I would die. <laughs> right. So many per- like there's so many permutations to this this uh, hypothetical Jordana because now it's like, well, what would you pick if you were fighting someone the size of an ogre? That's like, a good I, point, I, actually. Uh... Are you saying Jeff is the size of an ogre? <laughs> You're on, saying he's not. <laughs> I, I have to. Strongly he's like the same height dis- as you. <laughs> I have to strongly disagree with my co-host here. First of all, the martial art Wing Chun is designed expressly so that a small and theoretically less strong woman can absolutely okay, I'm sorry, hang on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, strong man. I was talking about like Western, like uh right. like and I Italian also, and Okay and like and I'm sword here to tell you like that a, all the, the Italian arts. and German like fight books of the fourteenth and fifteenth century were written by professional soldiers. <laughs> Jeez, I put a nickel in him. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, you're, you're just talking out of your ass. You have no idea what you're talking about. You're completely incorrect. Shocking. <laughs> Nick, talking out of his ass? Never. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure I'm right. And furthermore... Nick did nothing wrong. <laughs> I mean, here's where you're kind of right. Because all of those those martial arts are based on the idea that you'll in any given bout, you'll have time for an attack 
a counterattack and a counter counterattack. And if those all fail, like if you don't, if, you know, if, if both of you are alive at the end of that series of like three engagements, then you back up and you try something else. No, I don't think it worked like that. That doesn't sound right to me. All right. Speaking of trying something else, the other weapon I picked <laughs> was actually an axe. I was like, yeah, an axe. That'd be a great weapon. Um, but I also feel like this tangent has gone on too long. I'm very glad we talked about it. It was a good time. I feel like now the episode is long, though, and now we can't read a letter, and it's all my fault. That's right. Listener, whoever, whatever less letter it was that we just threw in the fireplace, you can blame Jordana. <laughs> I mean, I gave you guys the opportunity to stop me. No, when you when you presented the idea that you had something else you wanted to talk about, but that it was a tangent, and then you were like, oh, no, but we shouldn't do that. You knew what you were doing. <laughs> <laughs> I agree to disagree. <laughs> uh, listeners, you can agree to disagree with us on tomorrow's page. Um, the...